Hello everyone and welcome to Flawless, a music podcast. My name is Liam McGuinness and today I'm joined by my co-host George. Hello. And Grant. Hello there. Uh, each episode of Flawless, one of us proposes that an album that we think is flawless and we talk about why we love it and what flawless means to each of us. So today we are finishing a little triptych of Australian albums, my of me introducing Australian albums to George and Grant. Mm -hmm. So we started off with Spider Bait and UMI and today we're going to hit number three in that little sort of group of Australian albums, Australian bands who really sort of came through and made it big in the 90s, and that is uh, The Living End. So triptych. Yes, yes, triptych. So a group of three. I would have said triplet. Trio. Triplet. Trio. Triplet means they're all the same. Ah. So triptych. Sure. This is etymology 101. Wow, <laughs> look at us go. Uh, so yeah, so The Living End formed in 1994 in Melbourne. Uh, the band features Chris Chaney on guitar and lead vocals, Scott Owen on bass and backing vocals, and then uh, in this album... Travis Dempsey plays drums, but he's no longer in the band. So, but way back then, they, they that was it. Um, so, the Living End's debut album was released in October 1998. It was produced in Sing Sing Studios in Melbourne. Uh, it was came out on uh, Modular through EMI, and it was produced by Lindsay Gravina. So, okay. quick question before we get started: Had you guys heard of the Living End before? I hadn't heard the Living End yep. until I listened to this album, and I knew one of the songs. Right. And then went, oh, which, I know that song. Which song? <laughs> Prisoner of Society. Here right. we go. Nice. Yeah. And Grant, had you heard of them before? I had. I wouldn't have known that they sung Prisoner of Society. I'd also heard um, All Torn Down. Yep. I don't know whether that was... And I haven't researched this um, you know, to the nth degree. I don't know if that was a single or what, mm -hmm. but I certainly... Um, I'd heard Prisoners of Society and All Torn Down, and I'd heard that they'd played Big Day After, etc. So, yes. Um, yep. mm -hmm. You know, my, uh, my Australian wife is very happy when we review Australian bands. Yeah. And <laughs> say, oh, I went and saw them. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, those two I had, I had heard of, um, but I wouldn't have connected them cool. to The Living End. Because so I think I've seen them live there you as go. well in London. Okay, cool. Because um, <laughs> when I was going through my Scar Rockabilly stage, yep. and, and it, I kind of was listening going, I've got a feeling they were on a gig, like mm -hmm. an all-dayer that I went to. So yeah, uh, I need to research it because yeah. uh, more. I tried to have a little look, but I couldn't delve because the internet wasn't as big a thing back then. But yeah, but I think so, I might have seen them live. So do you remember the unusual thing about the bass player then? He plays a double bass. He plays a double bass. He plays a standing double bass. Wow. He rides the standing double bass. He will jump up on top of it and balance himself on it while he's playing it and he will also get the lead guitarist Chris Cheney to stand up and do play guitar on top of it while he's holding and playing it underneath as well <laughs> so he plays it like with that very sort of furious sort of slap sort of funky bass style and yeah very, okay. well, very well known for 
yeah plays all their songs it's not like he just uses it for a couple and plays the guitar i don't even know if he can play bass guitar i assume he can but every time it's always just been yeah that standing double bass which i've always loved and people find a bit cheesy when he stands up on top of it and i don't care i love it so much it's great. <laughs> sure so how did you discover them um so i discovered them as most people did through the release of a double a-sided single which was second solution and prisoner of society mm-hmm Mm-hmm. So hmm. that was released back in. They were sort of they'd been touring that on that a little while, and then the, the double A sided single was released in 1997. And then there were five singles from the album. So at, once the album came out itself, so there was Prisoner of Society, which came out on uh, January 1998 um, and made it to the Triple J Hot 100 in 1997. There was Save the Day, which was released in September 1998. All Torn Down, which you mentioned, Grant, which was released in December 1998. And that was probably one of the bigger ones that made it over to the more sort of poppy mainstream rock mm-hmm. uh, radio station, that sort of stuff, and was quite big for quite a while. And then West End Riot, which was released in July 1999. And all four of those songs made it to the Hottest 100 as well. So, awesome. Um, Living okay. in hold the record for the longest number of uh, consecutive entries in Triple J Hottest 100. They, be- they made the chart every year between 1997 and 2006. Oh, wow. So by the time this, by the time they looped through the four singles, five singles off this, they were into the next album and then they, they sort of back-to-backed albums. For Are the they still years. playing? Yep, they're still around now. So they've actually they've got a new album coming out later this year. They've just dropped the first single from it, and there'll be a big tour later this year for it. So I will tell you guys when that's coming. Happy Liam. They are so good live, and I love watching them, and it's amazing stuff. Okay, very good. Um, so yeah, so the album reached number one on the uh, Aria album chart and remained in the top 50 for 63 weeks, so a bit over a year. Jeez, yeah. Um, it was their debut album. They've gone on to release, I think, six more albums since then. And then, the, and then, sorry, that was the first. They've done another six. And then the eighth album will be coming out later this year. Um, yeah, so you mentioned that they were rockabilly. They're sort of like a rockabilly sort of punk style. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time when they came out, everyone sort of said they were punkabilly. Chris Cheney is on record as hating that that phrase. I um, hate that phrase. And he, yeah, he... Um, <laughs> I mean, he said it on his Instagram a couple of years ago. I looked it up, but then he said it multiple times. And the, the quote is, for the record, I utterly despise being called a punkabilly band. We're a rock and roll band. Simple as that. So it's just more about he doesn't like being pigeonholed into a genre. And But they play ska. They're a yes. billy something. They're, yeah. They but, they've seen them ska, uh, called psychabilly, rockabilly and stuff yeah. like that. And Their um, subsequent albums weren't quite as rockabilly. So they sort of okay. did a bit more straightforward punk and some straightforward, some more straightforward rock. So I think that's part of the thing is like they don't want to, they didn't want reviews of their subsequent albums to go um to be like, oh, this isn't the living in that we expected. This isn't the punk ability we expected. It's mm. like, no, no, this is whatever we put out. That's what who we are and that's what we do. And your friend told me to listen to the first album, Lachlan. Yes. He said, listen to the first album. And I yeah. said, okay. This is the first album. I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm aware of yeah. that. I figured that out. I did yeah. do some research. Yeah, we listened. Um, yeah, but he was just like, make sure you listen to the first album. Yeah. So Lachlan's one of the yeah the people who sort of loves their... F- and I'm the same. The first album's the best one. The next few are, are pretty good and then they sort of fall away a bit after that. But they're always good for some singles and they're always great for live. So. Awesome. So yeah, I think one of the reasons... So this came out right around the time, sort of that mid to late 90s, where I was sort of getting my formative music taste going. Um, I don't listen to a lot of punk in general, but I find this one, it's that really good mix of sort of angry without being overly too aggressive like we're letting that aggression bleed over into the music and sort of having that sort of making it a bit too chaotic it's just such 
crisp, clear guitar playing. So Chris Chaney is one of Australia's best guitar players, bar none. I've, I talked about with the Spider episode where Wit was one of the gr- unrecognized Australian guitar players. Everyone accepts that Chris Chaney is one of Australia's best guitar players. He does amazing work all through this album and he's got a lot of side projects and a bunch of other stuff that he does and he's really good all the way through it. And so, yeah, I just love that there's, this album is just like, it's just straightforward all the way through. Like it's just that hits that intensity, like it's sort of varies in intensity, but never let, lets it drop. And it's just really straightforward. There's not a lot of really complicated subtext to most of the songs. Like most of them are pretty straightforward about what they're about. And then, yeah, like cover to cover, this is like just a, if you tell me the name of the song, I can go, oh yeah, that's the one that goes, and then it's like, I just remember it and just the hooks and everything just stay in my mind so much. Mm-hmm. So apart from having heard them a little bit before, what were your guys' first impressions of the album? For mine, I thought um, as as a debut album, I think I've got, to, I've got to agree, it was very, very tight, mm-hmm. I suppose from a, from a musical perspective, which probably impressed me the most. I thought, geez, these guys have, have got um, you know, debut and, and I suppose to recognize I, I got two off the off the off the cuff from you know that made it to South Africa because ninety eight oh, yeah. I was I only came over here in two thousand six mm. so those two I think definitely made it over there yeah um you know that's a good debut mm. for mine Yours? George so when I first heard it I was like oh no because I was <laughs> I was like oh I thought I left Scar behind yeah because <laughs> uh, it was very much a part of my um, teenage years and I was like I thought. I thought I don't do this anymore. Yeah. Um, so I was like, all right, okay, no, I'm doing this. Yeah. It's for the podcast. <laughs> I have to do it. Liam and wants me to do Liam it. Liam needs me to do it. Sure. Yeah. yeah he, he needs to be me. impartial. To, yeah. Open minded. And, and to be sub- like objective. And so what, I was we like, we can only do what we can do. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So I listened to it and I listened to it once and I was just like, okay, no, this is actually quite a nice album. And then listened to it again like deliberately and um, was like listening out for lyrics and listening out for the musicianship a lot more and stuff like that and then decide and then by the time I was listening to it again um my partner was just like what do you think and I'm like it's actually a good album yeah um, <laughs> damn it yeah I was like, hate that? yeah I was like it's actually a good album he yeah. was just like laughing at me so uh <laughs> that was good because I was at first I was like he's making me listen to Scar yeah um, may, may, I, may I ask Scar guys what's the it's is that an, an acronym no, scar no, is SK, a type. SKA. SKA is a type of rhythm that usually was derived from kind of reggae music, mm-hmm. um, and it's an upstroke guitar like ding 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 ding, where and people dance and like they skank. this they skank yeah. for the record. George is skanking everybody. I'm skanking. Yeah. Um, so it's usually it's skank. usually quite heavy on brass as well. So bands like uh, Real Big Fish, um, the Porkers, and that sort of stuff, where it's sort of yeah. like a punk music, like an up tempo punk music that's usually got a lot of brass filtered through it as well. Okay, because um, I'm not sure all the listeners would understand if I'm asking this question. They know. Yeah. Oh, Scar, Scar's pretty like there's there's been waves of Scar. So there yeah. was like the first wave, which I think was in like the 70s or something. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to start talking about it because I definitely don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about. But sure, there were waves of Scar where it sort of came through, and then um, I think like English sort of UK sort of took a lot of the reggae and sort of the elements of that and turned into another wave. And then there was like a modern wave, which is like Real Big Fish and a few other bands that made it quite big again, sort of in the noughties a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a really okay. big thing, but and it's you normally known as being upbeat and yeah. and so, uh, it used to be very political, and then it's mm-hmm. kind of just turned into a bit of a fun way to smoke weed and chill out with your yeah. friends. And I think it's one star. of those genres that it, it goes in cycles, and when you're on the down cycle, everyone is like, "Man, Scar, man, how stupid was Scar? Everybody hated <laughs> Scar, and then it comes back and like, everyone's like, Scar, Scar's back, it's great, everybody.' Yeah. Yeah. And then as it goes down, it's like, oh, okay. what were we thinking? We, Scar was terrible. Everybody knew that. It's yeah, it's okay. a weird. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Thing. There you go. It's an interesting part of my uh, formative years. Mm. Sure. So these guys take sort of more of the, definitely the guitar-driven scar. So there's only one song in here where they get used brass, which is trapped. It is. I've um, written trapped yeah, brass. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Okay. And it's also the slot, like it's, they use that sort of really reggae um, mm-hmm. guitar riff as well and sort of slow it right down for that bit. And then the tempo changes through the song. But yeah, really sort of focusing on the brass. Because they stuff. released that as a single in the US. They did, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to come back to that. US only single. Yeah. Um, which I guess they thought maybe the scar stuff would do well, do better over there or maybe in Australia. It was wasn't sort of that when they were touring with Offspring or something like that? Could have like been, yeah. 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 I think I was having a look through going, oh, wow, they've got some, like, they did really well in send well they send a, a demo cassette and a t shirt through mm. to like Green Day or something and then yeah. ended up getting on their tour. Yeah. <laughs> like oh yeah, that's a great really weird like they're they're sort of they're on the poppier side of punk, but they're not pop punk. It's not like SoCal, Green Day, yeah. Offspring sort of stuff. They're in there and it's yeah, there's got sort of like a scar, sort of bit of a reggae slap bass sort of stuff to it, but it's mm-hmm. not like yeah, they're in this middle sort of space. And the reason why I thought the psychobilly stuff a little bit, because some of it reminded me of Alkaline Trio mm-hmm. and it had that kind of a bit more somber but still like punky scar sound. Yeah. And it was just like a really interesting combination throughout the whole record. Mm. They were some of my my contributions for you. So the album mm. the album opens with Prisoner of Society, which you mentioned earlier, Grant. So mm. it's basically I think of it as the perfect festival song, and I've seen them play it at festivals. Basically, they were a mainstay of Australian festivals for about fifteen years. So you, there was them, and there was a hilltop. There was a hip hop band called the Hilltop Hoods, who were sort of like a big leading Australian hip hop band. And for a really long period of their period, there you if your festival lineup didn't have Living End or Hilltop Hoods on it, you, it wasn't a festival. Like they were just everywhere yeah they were everywhere every year they loved it like sometimes people would use that to criticize them like oh they're just everywhere and they're playing all the time but it's like people love it they love that show and this song in particular because it gives you three once you know the song it gives you three perfect opportunities to mosh so there's the big sort of chaosy crash bit at the start and then that cuts back to the bass and then the bit that kicks off after that is just sort of a bit of a circle mosh pushing around a bit and then there's two parts at the end with like the driving guitar the driving drum bit and his like thrashing that guitar which is just that perfect beat for jumping up and down and I've been in yeah big day out livid pits where that's sort of just gone off and it's just like a thousand people who just Go and it's, I've talked about it with Spider-Man as well like that moment where you know that anticipation of oh yeah we, we know we're all going to hit <laughs> this beat and it's going to be great and you know the band for their credit don't muck around with it they're just like no we, we know you came here to hit this bit and they just do it and it's yeah it's just an amazing song live <laughs> Which helps because some of the lyrics are a little cringy. Like, you can tell he wrote them when he was a teenager, and I'm sure now he probably thinks that, you know, where the bit where he goes. In my mind, I kind of hope that he's mocking that teenage idealism of like, yeah, I'm a Brad and I'm proud of it, that sort of thing. But I know he probably isn't. Like, probably just, I was 19 and I wrote a song where I call myself a Brad. But yeah, you sort of. They were young when they wrote this. Yes. So they, they, they were 21. They were all sort of, yeah, 2021 when the, by the time the album came out. So when they were writing a lot wow. of these songs, they would have been sort of 1920. So mm-hmm. it's really good for a, a bunch of 19 year olds. Mm. I did write bratty punks down yeah. at the bottom of my yeah. notes. So yeah, there you go. Which is like part of the thing that I love about it as well as like it could have been all, like the whole album could have been bratty punk 
stuff but then there's also like a lot of um social messaging and stuff in there it mm -hmm. reminded me of the clash a bit like that so particularly the likes of um west end riot where you're talking about like the east side and the west side of town mm -hmm. and different people you know you got working class versus the sort of upper class and owners and that sort of thing um and then obviously mm -hmm. all torn down and that sort of stuff as well where you're sort of tearing down bits of history and you know, just looking at progress, progress for the sake of progress, and that sort of thing. So I want to know if they have a Scottish connection because they, because of the song Monday. Monday, a day like no other. Monday, what's the last day? Sunday, life is a struggle. Sunday. I don't know if they have a Scottish connection. I think they're all just Australians as far as I know. Okay, so, so yeah, so I don't know. Do you want to explain what it's about? Um, yeah, so uh, it's about the Dunblane Massacre. So it's, uh, Dunblane School Massacre took place in at the Dunblane Primary School in Stirlingshire, Scotland on 13th of March, 1996. So Thomas Hamilton shot 16 children and one teacher dead before turning the gun on himself. And it basically, as far as I can tell from the write-up, was the, the thing that led to gun control in... Britain and, and the UK so mm -hmm. it was the, the remains the deadliest mass shooting in British history and was basically the thing that convinced British people to take guns away I want yeah I, that's why I wondered why like a three bratty punks from Australia were writing mm. a song about it I was mm. like oh do they have like a Scottish connection or anything like that and I was like oh how odd yeah I think they're, they're sort of jumping all over the place here but I think they also they're just really keen on sort of social issues and that sure. sort of stuff because second solution which we know from the lyrics is where he talks about, uh, will I get death row or is there a second oh, yeah. solution? So it's uh, an anti, so I was like, oh yeah, so it's just an anti death penalty song. But then I looked into it and I was trying to figure out exactly what the what the idea was. And he talks about um, 23rd Precinct trying to get away. And New York's 23rd Police Precinct is half of Harlem. Mm. So that's where I'm thinking, okay, so now it's maybe more about the idea of white police policing a, a predominantly black neighborhood in mm. Harlem and it's the 23rd Precinct. and I tried to look up a bit of the history, but I couldn't find a lot. But I'm sure there's a lot of stuff about the injustices of that sort of thing. So I think they were just like bratty punks with a keen eye for sort of more social issues and wanting to talk about them. That's Big awesome. themes, eh, for, mm. for a young group of guys. Yeah, wow. which I think is part of the reason why I love it. Like it's not like if it was just so cal skate punk, I wouldn't love it. There's lots of bands out there that do that and I'd, I'm not interested. Yeah, I was expecting it to be about a bunch of party boys whining about ex-girlfriends mm. and stuff like that and then actually listen to it a bit more yeah. by the second time round and going, oh, hold on, what's he like, saying there? Yeah, this is the kind of punk that I like. Like yeah. this is the kind of, like if it, all of it was like this, I'd be more invested in punk in general. It's not like mm. completely like or completely political like bands like mm. Strike Anywhere who no, all they or do or like is Bad Religion similar. and stuff yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Mm -hmm. And and they're not Fugazi doing like stuff talking about 
women in the industry but it's yeah it was i was really impressed with the fact that it wasn't just whiny boys i wrote this on my notes yeah whining about girls glad yeah. they're not whining about girls because too much of the green day blink 182 world was was just that so mm. um, i was really impressed with that especially knowing how old they were yeah so then after prisoner of society you've got um growing up falling down which is one of those things where every time i listen to it i just love that you would think maybe after a song that's like big and epic like that like a real summary totality song you might phase it down a little or spit learn just try and ease people into it but no they actually go faster this song goes faster than prisoner of society so it's like mm. we're going to show you how skilled we are and like you know it's about just growing up and not getting and sort of getting knocked down and trying to keep going again but the speed with which they do the all three parts of this stuff is just amazing and blows me away every time <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I enjoyed it. I was like, I enjoyed the movement into that, and mm. uh, like the, I this is where I think I started to go. That sounds a little alkaline trio-ish. Yeah, some of it. I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. I think mm. it would maybe his vocal styling in some of it, mm. which isn't a bad thing. Yeah. Mm. And then, second solution. Second solution. Second solution yes, yeah. which I sort of touched on a bit, but yeah, like so that was. I called it a double A-sided single before, but that was the lead-off single. So that was the one that got sent around to radio a bit more. And Prison of Society was kind of like the, the lesser-known song. But mm -hmm. Prison of Society ended up doing the one that went a little better. But yeah, just those two songs. Like I, I wish I'd been able, like, I wasn't listening to that kind of music as much at the time. But I wish I'd, like, bought that single and just put it on. Because to listen to those two songs for the first time back-to-back -back just would have blown me away. Great, yeah. This is where he's, the guitar changes sound though and it sounds more surf rock. Mm -hmm. So it, before it was a bit more like forward, punky, like rockabilly stuff. Yeah. And then it moved into that surf rock style that um, I really liked. So I really liked it on this because it wasn't quite, it was a bit more bluesy. Yeah. Mm. I listen out for guitars. Yeah. I said skate punk on one note here when I was when I listened to it in Pennywise. Green mm. Day question mark. Yeah. You know, those, certainly the influences, and that was, you know, in the late, late 90s, that mm. big time um, early offspring. Yeah. You know, um, ignition. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and Green Day Dookie had come out. So I think there's certainly that, that enthusiasm is there. Mm. And then into West End Riot, which, like I said before, is um, sort of a working class versus higher class sort of song, and about sort of kids who just, you know, on the day-to-day -day when they're growing up, everyone's just the same. Everyone's just sort of fighting, depending the neighborhood, defending the neighborhood and that sort of thing. And then as they grow up, you sort of split off into, you know, the more working class versus sort of the owners and the factories and that sort of stuff. And that one had a music video and it was directed by Don Letts, who also directed a number of The Clash. 
videos, mm-hmm. which I really liked. So they were on tour in the UK and they filmed it while they were over there. So that's got a bunch of sort of hooligan skinhead sort of guys and gangs and stuff sort of throwing stuff mm-hmm. at each other and running around and doing a bunch of stuff. So Yeah, it sounds like England. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Um, and so we've had basically four songs that are like all very, very high paced, sort of quite frenetic and very fast paced. And then you hit Bloody Mary where it just sort of slows down just a little tad. This is the like this is one of the things I love about it. Is like it takes five songs for them to go. Okay, now we're going to let you have a breather, and it's not like it's not even a slow song. But we're just going to. This is where we find it taking the foot off the pedal just a little bit. Yeah, and um, yeah, kicked into that. And the guitar in this one was slidey and mm. bluesy instead, yeah. and again, like showing off that he's actually a really good guitarist. Mm. This is from my notes. I've written yeah. lots of notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, like I said, into sort of Monday and All Torn Down. So All Torn Down was a really huge single for them at the time. So Scar. So very, yeah, so very Scar and like like a really easy social issue to tap into. So it really sort of gets people going. And like I said, it was on a lot of the mainstream sort of rock radio stations. So whereas some of their earlier stuff might have been a bit too fast or too heavy, this one's sure. like a lot more, a bit more easy listening, a bit more accessible for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it went to number 12 in the Australian single charts as well. So it did quite well for them here in Australia. And it's, yeah, I think it's one of the things where I loved it when I first heard it, when I heard it on the album for the first time. Mm. Over time, once it got released as a single in the video, which was quite sort of easy, like easy watching, mm-hmm. quite accessible video as well. Um, and then I, um, I sort of got a bit sick of it because it was everywhere and it got really overplayed. But then now it's, yeah. Now I still love it, sort of having come back to the album after so much time as well. Because that was one of the singles, obviously. That was one of yep. the singles, Third yeah. Third single. Or mm-hmm. one of the th- and it goes into Save the Day, which is the next single. Yes, so Save the Day was another single as well, yeah. So that was... Punky. Yeah, so that's just like straightforward, fast-paced, blasting guitars, blasting drums. So here I come to save the day A regular Joe all the songs through this album are like really fist pumping like there's little bits where um, the bass player player, Scott Owen does a little bit of like a backing vocal just like a like just for half a line he'll just scream it into the mic as well and it's like just peppered all the way through the album Mm. so it's really sort of they're an amazing live band to see and that's because so many of their songs are just like really down the line straightforward punk get everybody fist pumping and jumping around and even if you don't necessarily know the song that well you can still really get into it and, and sort of jump around a lot 
How they how they the the later albums? You said you you, you didn't subscribe as much to them. Was that right? They're yeah. So they this this one, like I said, I can remember like when you say, oh, it's this song. It's like, oh yeah, that's the one that has the hook that goes like this. Later albums, they like they would have two or three big singles on them, and those singles would be like, yep, yeah, these are the really good ones, but the in between tracks wouldn't be quite as strong. Okay. And so, um, yeah. So like it, it's always they're always good to listen to, and I've always enjoyed all their stuff throughout. But this is they. Yeah, for my mind, they haven't ever sort of topped this album. Okay. Um, so yeah, so after Save the Day, we've got Trapped, which is the sort of the reggae song, which has the, the horns on it. Horns. Yep. So um, you almost lost me. Almost, almost lost me. That was almost horns. too scar. Yeah, I was like, oh, we've got the horns. Let's see. So the band. But it the, was worth it. It actually fit the song. So I yeah. Them off. And the two guys. So there's two guys who play um, scar. Sorry. The two guys who play the horns in this song come from a scar band called Area 7. I did do brass exclamation mark. Right. In my notes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was a slower scar. Mm. Um, Standing on the right side, I liked. I've got that. This, these are my notes. I liked yeah. it on, on trapped. Yeah, I I didn't write down a lot of lyrics from the album. It's not for me. It's not the kind of album where I'm like, oh, these you know these are really deep and dark and insightful lyrics and not necessarily lines that stand out a lot on their own. Mm. But for me, it's really about that passage all the way through, and it's the musicianship and the instrumentation stuff is just. And like I said, it sort of came out right when I was getting going with my music Forming it, yeah. and to have an album that's just so strong all the way through no weak points no sort of softer moments no songs that are like oh we tried to do this or like just have everything work really well was just blowing and it's just stuck with me all the way through so that was like 20 years ago so yeah after trapped we've got have they forgotten and fly away i want a day which is probably my favorite song like non-single song from the album mm-hmm. and then sleep on it and then closing in which ends so the album ends with an instrumental which i love because it's sort of, once again, it's them sort of demonstrating their really good skills with the instruments. And then it also ends with like a big, sort of one of those big crashing endings. So basically mm-hmm. like a gig ends where all three band members are facing each other and crashing in time with the, with the drummer. So really sort of pushing through that idea that, yeah, they're, all, they're probably a live band first and foremost. And they, they want people to think of this album almost like a set. All it starts, through. that closing in starts off like improv jazz. Yeah. I was like, sure, yeah. where are you coming from here? <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. What kind of ending are you doing to your record when mm. you've just like powered through with punk throughout the whole thing? And yes. then you're like, yeah, let's just have a little improv jazz session. Yeah. Uh, but then it, that's, that's only for a few bars before it starts to go hectic. Mm. Mm. So but did you have any other favorite songs on there, George? Um, I liked uh, Fly Away because it was cheerful. Mm. Um, it had nice chord progressions, and but 
the vocals followed the guitar line quite a lot. Yeah. So the guitar goes da da da, and the vocals go da da da. The pet peeve. You are well documented as not, not being a fan yeah, of. I'm a bit of a wuss for that. Principal. <laughs> no, you're principal, and that's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, there have, but there was really nice guitar soloing on this. So mm. um, I'm glad that Chris is recognised as being a good guitarist. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because there have, I listen to a lot, and I go to a lot of like live music where mm. I hear people play and I was brought up around guitarists so I get a bit like fussy about yeah. it but he does some really nice guitar solos mm. sometimes they're a bit cheesy yeah. um like just replaying the vocal line as a guitar solo and yeah. stuff like that but which has its place in certain songs but he is a really good guitarist so mm. I enjoyed that a lot so um, he um he does like a lot of side projects and that sort of stuff as well so he's mm -hmm. they're currently about to do a third uh, him, Tim Rogers from UMI, who we've talked about, yes. Phil Jamison from Grinspoon, who are like this dirty rock band from Lismore, from coastal New South Wales, and Josh Pike, who's like this like this folk troubadour. The four of them mm -hmm. got together and got a session band together, and they just played the Beatles' White Album in full, like with the four of them alternating between okay. all the different. So ah. they've, they've got four very distinct personalities. These four singers, so they each sort of come out and do the songs that they do in their style and then there's a few of them where the four of them come out and do all the songs together and Chris does While My Guitar Gently Weeps oh. are they touring now? I thought they were advertising yeah yeah so yeah. They, they did it once they did it a second time we went and saw it a second time and they're, they're about to do it a third time okay. so <laughs> it's really if you haven't so like we've seen it the first two times so we're not going to worry about it a third time but if you haven't seen it definitely check it out because okay. it's really good and he also as well as doing all the guitar parts from that he also does like a massive like three minute solo extra bit in there so that it ends up making it this really and the first time he did it he got a standing ovation oh. that I saw because he was just like just yeah absolute control and mastery of the of the guitar wow. well I'm really impressed with the different styles that he plays throughout mm. and I'm impressed was when I found out it was just one guitar throughout the whole thing as well because yeah. he makes it sound really full so obviously it, with the, whoever did the mastering did a really good job of mm. making sure that there wasn't an empty sound yeah. which can happen sometimes in a three piece I'm, I'm disappointed I couldn't hear the bass enough in yeah. the mastering okay sure like because i wouldn't have known that there was a double bass a lot of the time yeah like it could have been it could have just been a bass mm, like I yeah i think some of the mastering yeah and the mixing kind of makes it sound sometimes like a just a bass guitar rather than the double bass yeah and which is such a shame because the double bass is one of the most beautiful instruments to listen mm. to and so i think um yeah they they if they're gonna they should do one of those things where they do a 10 year 20 year remaster how long's it been it's been 20 that years that would be 20 years, years this year for, for yeah, this they one. yeah they should have done a 20 year remaster where mm. they got all those original yeah, fixed all that up yeah. yeah fixed it up and made sure that the bass was really prominent because yeah. uh, that's that is one of their selling points mm. as you say especially as a live band yeah. yeah um and you could listen to the album and have no idea that there's a beautiful double bass yeah they um it was interesting because prisoner of society and second solution they're on that single they re-recorded both of those for the album Mm -hmm. and okay. that kind of annoyed me at the time because I knew those two singles and I was like, man, those those are two great songs and then the recorded versions aren't quite as raw and so I was like annoyed at the time but then over time I'm like, now that I listen to it, I'm like, no, no, that that wouldn't fit that mix of that, that original mix of those two songs wouldn't fit alongside, you know, the mixes that they've got of these songs like mm -hmm. would just sound so completely different to what the rest of the album sounds like that it would just be off-putting. Mm. Grant, did you have any other favourite songs? I thought uh, I want a day as well. Yeah, was was probably my next uh, after um, uh, the ones that I'd known already. Mm. Um, you know, we've spoken about those the opening four, five. You know, those are 
those, those, I thought it opened really well. So mm. those are the, the ones for mine plus uh, I Want a Day. Yeah. And there's a key change in that one. Is there? Yes. I like a good key change. Is it up? <laughs> Do key changes go up or down? Goes up. Okay, it goes up? Yeah. Cool. So there's a key change that goes up and I'm like, oh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> like, well done. Nice. Oh, punk bands don't usually do that. Yeah. They usually, yeah. So I was, I was impressed with that one. Mm. So back in 2012, speaking playing live, which we weren't, but what the hell, um, uh. they did a tour. So they by that stage, they'd released six albums. They did a tour where they went to each of the capital cities and they played seven nights in a row in each city. Wow. And they would play, each show would be one of the albums in full. And then a double show, like two nights in a row of the first album, because that was the most popular. So that was the one that really sold out. Sure. So they would do seven nights in a row. So six albums plus a bonus show. And they did that in seven cities in a row. So they did 35 shows in 48 days. Jeez. In, that's just touring around Australia. So sure. we saw we saw when they played this album in full. And that's where I love like that last song because it ends on the, like the, this is the end of a, of a show because, mm. yeah. So. But then I'm, they can't do an encore. I think they did do an encore and come back with some B-sides and some other sort of stuff. They've oh, done, okay. um, they're quite well known as well. They did a cover of Tainted Love by Soft Cell. Oh, I saw like that. Like a punky version of that, which is really cool. So check that out if you can, because it's really sort of fun. Um, so yeah, any other thoughts or anything before we wrap up? Um, Not from no. you. So yeah, We've like I said, these guys, they're a mainstay of Australian live music. They've, they've been around for ages. They've been on a bunch of different labels. One thing I found out which was interesting was they, um, their first four albums, they didn't have a contract for the album, so they, for all the albums. So they, their manager would go to the label and go, okay, we're getting ready to do another album. Do you want it? Yep. Okay, sign a one-album deal, put that mm -hmm. album out. So essentially they were unsigned after each of their first four albums came out so that they could go, okay, well, we want, we want freedom on what we'll do with our next thing. So once we're ready for it, we'll go back and do it again. Huh. Mm, interesting. And then Chris almost quit the band. I found out today in 2006, he was in. They were in, like literally on stage in the middle of a tour, and he just had this epiphany that he's like, "I, I don't want to be doing this. I don't, I don't know. I'm however old he was at the time. I've sure. never done anything else. I have no real world skills. What happens if this all falls apart? I won't know what to do. I should quit." And he almost quit on the spot and they were like no no let's finish out the tour so they finished out the tour and then his manager just sent him away for a month and no one like no one spoke to him no one like or with his family because he just had a daughter as well sure that he'd missed like her first year of life basically being in the band and the man is like go away for a month we won't talk to you no one's going to talk to you for a month and then figure it out and they go and work in woolies or something yeah or go and live in the wilderness somewhere or just sure. do don't be around this for a year for a month yeah and um, like right at the end of that, he was like, he, like he was bursting with this inspiration. It's like I've got, I'm, I'm stuck with this this music stuff that I really want to write, but I told myself I wouldn't do anything for a month. <laughs> and then he wrote this riff, and it became a really great song um, called "How Do We Know," which is really good if you check that out. But yeah, so I didn't, hmm. I hadn't realized that until recently that he became this close to losing them forever, because then it would have been like, well, band's over. Like you don't, sure. it wouldn't have been one of those things where you could get another musician in. No. A good old-fashioned anxiety attack, huh? Yeah, yeah, and like literally, he was, talks about it now. And it was like literally on stage, Jeez. like just playing for people and going, yeah. "Nope, this this isn't it. This is, I've lost this. This I had something and I've lost it." Mm. So, credit to the way they managed him then. Mm. And yeah, that's really good. I was really happy when I heard that yeah. from the manager as well. For sure, that's awesome. Cool. All right, nice. so I think I've made my position on this album fairly clear. Like I said, it's sort of 
there were lots of great bands coming up through that sort of early to mid 90s when I started listening to a lot of this music and I think this one this one holds its own and probably still stands up today which is really great for a, a 20 year old album mm. uh, Grant we'll start with you Flawless yes or no as binary as that I'd have to say no <sighs> um, I, let, let us have it I, I, well look um, I thoroughly enjoyed the first five I thought Monday didn't really I sort of go yes yes and then you go into into, um, into uh, Monday and like oh geez, what's going on there um, and it just, and then at times, I suppose it felt like it was more of the same. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the notes that I've got in here, but to, to, there wasn't enough, uh, potentially variation, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily sold in the closing, um, closing in yep. on, the f- on, on just having an instrumental at the end. I thought, um, is that the way, you know, I, that didn't resonate with me. And I thought potentially it was just a bit too long. Mm-hmm. Um, it is quite a long album. 14 songs yeah. for, a punk, for a punk album is quite long. Um, but, you know, in the context of this is when you're forming, you know, this is your formative years of, of music appreciation, really, and, and you finding your gear, I could, could totally see how mm. you would go, this is this is a flawless album. Because, yeah. you know, debut and you're of that, that's your, your sort of growing up era. era. Um, great album, very happy to have listened to it, but uh, a little bit too much uh, left out there for mine. Mm-hmm. George. Uh, so I'm actually really glad I listened to this album. So I got through the power of the scar and r- got rid of my terrible memories <laughs> of being young and wearing baggy jeans. I have a scar album that I was thinking of bringing along one day, but you maybe maybe, do it. maybe I won't. You <laughs> should do it. Hey, don't let me stop you. Um, I need to just accept that I wore baggy jeans yeah. um, and looked like Gwen Stefani for a lot of my youth. Yeah, uh, but a bad yes. thing. <laughs> Pardon? That's not a bad thing. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, but... Um, I liked a lot of the songs on here and I really appreciate the musicianship. I do wish that they had mastered it better so that they could I could hear that the double bass or contrabass as we've learned in other episodes. Yeah. Um but I have I listened to it three times this morning and I still can't sing a song from it. Right. Which oh. is really hard which is like I keep I've looking at all my notes going, These are all my notes and this is how I felt at the time mm. but I and I've written lyrics and gone, I can't remember how the lyrics go. Yeah. Which is a real shame because I like punk and scar and stuff was a real big part of me. I like, yeah. And when I listened to Prisoner of Society, I was like, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I've skanked to this. Yeah. Like when I was young and sure. Gwen Stefani. Um, but I can't put it down as a flawless album because there's so many things in this genre that I think just pip it to the post. And there's like, I. If there's not a memorable song for me, mm-hmm. then I can't do it flawless, and I'm really sorry. That's okay. I realised the other day, out of the blue, I can I know all the words to Prisoner of Society. Like I, I have trouble remembering words to songs when I'm not listening to the song. Like if I'm listening to it at the time, I can go, "Yep, this, here's every word." But I can do Prisoner of Society straight cool. up. I can just tell, I could sing it to you right now, but do I'm it. not going to because we're running out of time. <laughs> so was was yes. That's uh, so. Thank you very much. I'm glad I was able to introduce you to an Australian punk icon. Thank you. We want to thank everybody for listening. Flawless is recorded at the Edge Studios at the State Library of Queensland, which is a fantastic free space, so check them out. If you'd like to help us get the word out about Flawless, you can leave us a rating on most major podcast services. It leaves some feedback. It helps other music lovers to find us. We also have a Facebook page where you can be part of the conversation. It's uh, facebook.com slash flawlessamp and also a Twitter account, which is also flawlessamp and an Instagram, also flawlessamp. So thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.